0: one and two. Ready on camera, one with key. Three. one. All right, and two, an get ready, one. and cue them, and
1: go. All remote stand by, please. This okay, we're going to good. George. Say, the F-14 is one of the most difficult planes to master. Executive producer. I got one of the most difficult to master.
0: I'll tell you something else, you know, I'm getting less and less air time. They don't think I'm at all anchor material. I can't believe I just risked my life for a network to test my face with focus groups. Is there any particular area that you feel strongest in? To be honest, I was best at anchor.
1: So, you have almost no experience, and you can't write.
0: But I don't know. I can learn. What I do know, nobody can teach. I'll
1: buy you a drink. There's a big thing um, going on over at the Italian Embassy.
0: I'm not sure I'd be good company tonight,
1: I am beginning to repel people I'm trying to seduce. Wouldn't this be a great world if insecurity and desperation made us more attractive? If
0: needy were a turn on? Incredible! Who's here? Me. Let me just be your most trusted friend now, the one that gets to say all the awful stuff, okay? I guess. You can't end up with Tom, because it totally goes against everything that you're about.
1: I was half
0: hoping I wouldn't have a good time tonight. You know why? Because
1: you're nuts. He'll be nice and helpful, and he'll get all the great women.
0: What do you do when your real life exceeds your dreams? Keep it to yourself.
1: I can't breathe. (sighs) Over a guy.
0: I would give anything if you were two people.
1: So I could call up the one who's my friend and tell her about the one that I like so much. Welcome to this week's edition of Box Office Bylines here on Nowhere FM. We're going to be talking about the 80s classic broadcast news. I am Tara Thorne in Halifax, Nova Scotia.
0: And in the control room, I am in Yellowknife, <laughs> Northwest Territories, feeding you lines. I am Jacob Boone.
1: You're feeding me lines and um, someone's throwing uh, videotape at you.
0: Exactly. At me. You I'm are throwing videotape. You are the uh, beautiful but shallow face of the news, and I'm a uh, pint-sized... The small and competent. Yes. Pint-sized Southern reporter, producer, <laughs> who no one takes seriously because of my gender. Correct. That's a horrible summation, actually, of this very good, complex, lovely movie.
1: Yes, so I want to talk about... I, I love finding out... The last two movies neither one of us had seen... yes. It's very hit and miss about whether we have seen it or not seen it. I saw broadcast news when I was a teenager because Holly Hunter, who plays the the female producer, Jane Craig, she was in a movie in 1995 called Home for the Holidays, which was directed by Jodie Foster. And I was obsessed with it and obsessed with her. So I was going back through her filmography and, um, you know, kind of catching... Now, she had been in the piano, uh, but I wasn't, you know, I was... I Rom- had that. Roman uh, Polanski's the piano? <laughs> Roman plan- pe- Yes. Roman Polanski's the pianist. No. Jane Campion's the piano. So she had had all of that happen. Um, but I missed it because, you know, it looked uh foreign and uh difficult. So I, I watched the piano later <laughs> in life.
0: <laughs> you were like, who's got time?
1: <laughs> Who yeah. It looks sad. There's a she's wearing uh-huh. a bonnet. Yeah. No. Um so uh y- so I saw this As a teenager, and uh, one of her hallmarks is bursting into tears. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I was very confused at like 16 as to why. Because she she would like hang up the phone and cry, or she would have a nice interaction and cry. And I didn't get it. But as an adult, let me tell (laughs) you, I understand. But this was your first time seeing it.
0: Yeah, I somehow slipped um, under the radar. I guess you would say. Um, I think for a little bit, I confused this and Network.
1: Right, which you also hadn't seen.
0: Um, yeah, or or, or I, I just didn't know anything about it at all. Um, and, and I mean, not, I learned things as I went along. Um, I knew a little bit about it before we started watching. I knew it was good. I knew Holly Hunter was in it. It's just, you know, sometimes <laughs> there's movies Two you don't effects.
1: get yeah. to. You can't see everything.
0: So I was pleased that uh, we chose it. This was um, this was something you you wanted to watch right from the get go, to the point yes. that we thought about naming this podcast some punny derivation of broadcast news because. But we broadcast news was it? Podcast
1: <laughs> news? I don't know.
0: Oh, podcast news is very good. Why didn't we think of
1: that? Oh man, the amount of time oh, we spent God. trying to name this show to only come up with something we kind of like. <laughs>
0: Is it too late to change all of it to podcast news? Though I guess, Here on
1: Episode 9.
0: No, but like that's the thing is like it doesn't work if you're just seeing it devoid no. of context. You're like, "Oh, it's a show that brings you all the latest updates on the podcasting world or something." Yeah, so. a show
1: I would never listen to. <laughs> it
0: Does sound horrible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, oh. so we did the right thing as it turns out.
0: Uh not that movie, but we watched Broadcast movie- News broadcast news that's the parody with cows
1: yes yeah.
0: <laughs> one of the facts i found out in in doing research was there was a very quickly assembled porn parody called broadcast nudes which later they used as a simpsons joke i like to think james l brooke was brooks was uh chuffed by the
1: yeah the so we didn't mention that either james l brooks directed this thing. Wrote, wrote, and, wrote direct. and directed yeah. and produced. His credit is literally like written, produced and directed by.
0: His second feature film after Terms of Endearment.
1: Like that's a pretty that's a pretty <laughs> good uh uh you know run yeah. so far.
0: <laughs> Starring Holly Hunter, Albert Brooks. It's great. Joan Cusack, whose name is spelled wrong, but she's fantastic.
1: Like you're you, like someone's one job was to spell names right
0: <laughs> there's no c on on where <laughs> they they left out the C uh William hurt, who we'll get to and yeah. uh in an unpromoted role, Jack Nicholson he was left off all the promotional materials and it's a very minor role, but certainly he was a big star, and uh he plays like the network lead anchor, the like superstar guy who mostly just appears on the monitors. Because these, our our crew, our lovely ensemble cast is in Washington assembling the news for, I don't know if it says what network they're on.
1: I don't think it ever does, but it's clear that they're not uh, one of the big ones.
0: No, but they don't come up with some fake like GBS or right. NBZ News or something.
1: <laughs> Bullshit system or whatever <laughs> it was in network.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it's sort of, it's a rom-com about a love triangle but about a lot more than that
1: about a lot more than that and this this you know I often lament the loss of the adult drama um no one makes them because they cost about thirty million dollars mm-hmm. give or take which is a stupid number for movies like your budget should be a million dollars or 200 million anything mm-hmm. in the middle no one mm-hmm. likes so. Yeah. They don't make movies like this anymore where it's just like, here's some grown up people doing stuff and you just don't (laughs) see them anymore. So it's a real, it's a real throwback in a lot of ways.
0: It's also like, as you know, the love triangle with the um, career woman who's trying to decide between job and romance, which is sort of Holly Hunter's character and the pretty, but shallow hunk and the whiny, smart, Nice Guy, William Hurt, and Albert Brooks, respectively. It's, you know, you describe it, if you describe this movie like that, it does such a disservice, again, to a film that takes that cliche, which I think it was already a cliche in sort of like a romantic comedy, and and doesn't Mm -hmm. fall into the traps that it proposes. It swiftly moves in a much smarter direction, much more deeply realized way it's incredibly written and very funny but also very human in how it portrays its characters i guess i heard that i read that um they shot in order primarily oh wow brooks like even to the point that like the newsroom scenes they'd like break and go back to those sets like a couple weeks later which probably is why it cost (laughs) 30 million that would add some expense but brooks was like unsure if he wanted his character to like end up with one of these guys right up until the end. And he was sort of waiting, he was learning from their performances and sort of, they were developing things as they went along, which also I don't think films are made that way.
1: No, they definitely aren't. And, um, and we'll get to that ending in terms of, uh, who she ends up with. hmm Uh, because I really think it, a lesser movie would have that as the, um, as the thrust of it, yeah. you know, where it's like, will she, who this guy or this guy? And it is that, but it respects everybody so much, and especially her, which again, the 80s, someone like Holly Hunter has never been a movie star. She's won Oscars. She's like a really well-respected, mostly dramatic actor who does everything. But she's never been like who we talked about last week, Julia Roberts. She's never been that sort of level. But even in the 80s, you put like an unconventional Lead uh, at the center of a movie, but but the but the characters also really unconventional. Um, it just it just respects her and what she wants so much. In in a lesser movie, in a Nancy Myers scripted movie, she would have been punished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> way more for caring about her job so much, and even occasionally throughout the film, someone will try to knock her down, and it doesn't happen because she's just very very good and competent, and all she wants is for the news to be good, and she's very ethical, and she's driven by, you know, journalistic principles that have kind of eroded, which Mm -hmm. is another way this movie's a throwback. And uh, yes, the men are there, but it's not about, like, if she doesn't pick one of these guys, her life sucks.
0: Yeah. Can we talk about possibly the best line reading in this movie, if not in all of 80s cinema, and probably up there in all of (laughs) movies? Um, I think I
1: know which one it's going (laughs) to be but you tell me oh um, it must be horrible being the smartest person in the room all the time or no it must be what does he say?
0: so her boss who's like the new network guy uh, lets her know that there's some sort of like plane crisis in Sicily or with Libya or something and so they're all at like a day party at the boss's house and he's like hey you guys got to go cover this take the handsome pretty boy reporter who they just hired because he's attractive like he's sort of failed up in his career from smaller markets and he knows that again it's it's very smart in how it treats their characters because no one's one-dimensional um they decide okay we're gonna put uh tom played by william hurt on the air and you go you produce it and she wants to bring aaron played by albert albert brooks who's her Best friend at work and shares all of her values and is very good at his job. And they say, No, 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 don't. He's not needed because he's not what they want Ready. in front of the camera. Yeah. And she argues against that. And so Paul, her boss, says, It must be nice to always believe you know better, to always think you're the smartest person in the room.
1: And she takes a beat
0: <laughs> and says, so I don't even six. want to say it because we're going to ruin. Her delivery. We're never gonna
1: be as good as Academy Award winner, Holly Hunter.
0: You're just absolutely right. And I'm absolutely wrong.
1: It must be nice to always believe you know better, to always think you're the smartest person in the room. No, it's awful. Truly incredible, incredible. You know, we were co-watching this with with someone Mm. else and we were sort of chatting through it. Do you remember this? Like we were gossiping through it and I mm-hmm. rewound it because I wanted to make sure everybody <laughs> saw it because it's so good.
0: It's just a gut punch moment of this person who t- takes no pleasure in trying to stand up for what matters to her. Mm-hmm. In in a office environment or world that does not at all place the same values on the things she holds dear. It's yeah, and just an amazing I heard they I read they did it like 20 times to make sure they got the right oh, man. inflection the right performance her eyes are like water like she didn't win an Oscar but like that's all you need and it's a funny little small tiny moment it's not a big dramatic speech it just comes and goes like you said you could miss it if you you're not paying attention. yeah
1: for real and uh but it says so much about her character and so much about what the movie thinks about her um, yeah. yeah, it's a really great moment. And I would also, uh, speaking of throwbacks and how this movie treats her and, and women in general, um, there's one woman that that Tom is interested in that they work with, and she's sort mm-hmm. of framed as frivolous because she has a, she's converted a bedroom into a closet. That's the worst crime against womanity in this movie from 1987. Now, you recall we talked about a movie from 1994 last year. <laughs> last week, which had many, uh-huh. many crimes. it felt like last year. Um, but this movie does not sexualize uh, women in any way, other uh, Jennifer a little bit. but it also doesn't um...
0: Jennifer Jennifer's the other the woman with the closet, which doesn't make sense because she says her she turned another bedroom into the closet, but we only find that out because her asks where the bathroom is, and she says through the closet. So in the layout of this apartment, does one bedroom connect to the other bedroom which then connects to the bathroom? Yeah. And it looks like a hotel work?
1: anyway. Yeah. Anyway,
0: okay. <laughs> all right. Anyway. Yes, go the on. whole
1: point was to show how wrong these people were together. But um it also treats all of the women like this is actually probably a bit of fiction. It actually treats all of the women who are working in the newsroom equally. No one's shitting on them. There's no uh, yeah. you know, snide comments or or any like minor sexual harassment garbage. Like there's just nothing. um, and i I really appreciated that.
0: No one ever questions Jane Holly Hunter's character's skills at her judgment. Job. we we, Never. Kinda, we meet no. her already having achieved some level of success, and there's some line there's an amazing scene where like, so after they go to do this plane crash or hijacking story, she gets to be in command, the executive producer for once, whereas normally she'd be like, what, a sort of spot producer or do, like, individual stories?
1: Yeah, or, like, hits or whatever, yeah.
0: And, you know, she's just conducting this, like, foul, with this, like, cursing at people who are in her way, cutting people off, moving things around, just this, it's like Tom Cruise in Minority Report. <laughs> like, <laughs> And it benefits so much from Holly Hunter being this tiny, tiny, actress who's like five foot one and so in every scene everyone's towering over her and then in this (laughs) one scene they put her in the command position which is like i don't know on a riser above everyone else she's like at the like big computer so she's now she
1: looks like she's in the control room at nasa
0: yeah and there's no way that's how the newsroom must have (laughs) actually been built but suddenly she's like zeus and just um, in control of everything happening and it's incredible. And the boss then is like, I knew she was good, but I didn't know she was that good. And yeah, it's no one No one questions her ability. Even the reporter, she's frivolous because uh, she has a lot of outfits, though arguably she's on camera a lot. She should have a lot of nice outfits because people will judge her on that. Um,
1: yeah, she's a reporter.
0: But she's also, no one questions her at, at her job. No one like derides her for that. Really only Tom is the one. That they sort of question whether he has any actual skills or ability or if he's just a pretty face.
1: Yeah. Um, but I do want to say her competence um, in parallel with the crying fits. This is what I understand now as a grown person. And Jacob, I'm not going to ask you about your personal life and how you deal with work stress. Okay. But I, you can chime in if you would like. But this whole... You know, basically, we, we first see her. She calls Aaron on the phone. She's like, this is your half-hour warning. I'm going to meet you in the lobby. And he tells her about something he's watching on TV. She hangs up, and then she sits there, and then a jag comes over her. It's a really incredible scene. Like, she cries, 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 and then she's done. And I, re- I really think her being so good at her job and then – having these little releases because she doesn't have anyone in her life that she can talk to. She does have Aaron, but we don't Mm -hmm. ever see her sharing that information with him. I just think it's, again, respects her character, so well-rounded, and I totally believe it. Like, sometimes you just got to take a second, release it, and then you can get on with your day.
0: Can you... uh, I'm sorry. What's a jag?
1: Like a crying jag.
0: Is that... I like don't know a that term. you know,
1: like a fit. Okay.
0: Um, I've never cried at work. I've definitely cried about work. Right. Um, in infamously, the coast had a crying sack, which was sort of a yes, joke.
1: Yes, which is I'm looking at it. It's, it's oh, you took it. It with was you? framed and given to me when it was I left. It's a paper
0: bag. It wasn't much use. Water soluble.
1: Um, and in the in the old coast office, like. Uh, in the early days in the oos when I started there, we had a room where like all the garbage was stored similar to the rat room in the current in the current office um, and we called it the crying room that like it was the only place where you could go with a door that you could shut. Um, and it sounds like we cried at work all the time but we didn't. It's just stressful.
0: For our listeners who who didn't know, the rat room at our old newspaper the Coast is uh, a room that had all the rats in it.
1: All the gr- garbage, comma, rats yeah. and mice.
0: So that you don't feel alone. And I don't think you did because you know other people who've had those jags of crying yeah. as a sort yes. of like release yes. valve. <laughs> um. So, so Brooks, James O. Brooks did like two years of research on this movie. He talked to like a couple hundred people, interviewed them, like started doing research before he even knew what the movie was. He kind of just knew he wanted to do a film about A woman in her career, you know, that sort of like new career woman in the '80s, and was sort of Mm -hmm. intrigued by journalism. As he he had kind of worked in a little bit as as a youth, and so he interviewed lots and lots of people. And uh, this is from a quote he gave, I think, to the Atlantic, like decades later. Um, he said the uh, he always had a thing when doing research that the third time you hear something, such as. The detail about women crying in the office, you can generally believe it's true. And three or four wow. times different women told me that in the course of the day they cried. It wasn't that they were crying in a programmed way, it was just a release. So we wanted to include that for Jane's character as this important thing. And it it's never really explained. She doesn't put give it like a speech about why she does it. It happens more at the beginning and then sort of as she learns I guess to sort of put her guard down and be intimate with some of these guys she there's we don't see the crying but yeah it's um it's a very interesting element in the film and very as you said truthful to real life
1: yeah and it doesn't use it to mock her like it's very funny yeah and then (laughs) again with age and with age and time you're like you know I uh I understand what this is like Jane Craig cries every day, at least once. Maybe more.
0: <laughs> uh, apparently cries very much in the same manner one person who did cry as well was the real-life inspiration for Jane, CBS News producer Susan Zerinsky. Oh. Did you know this? You didn't. I already know you don't know. I did not. Um, <laughs> so Zerinsky, uh first met Brooks at a Democratic National Convention in San Francisco, which she had been covering with her then-boyfriend, uh, later husband well actually right then husband because they'd been talking about getting married for a while and they had some time in between filing reports so they decided just to go to city hall in san francisco and get married um though they needed like oh i love that permission from the network <laughs> which had like strict rules about colleagues marrying at the time and she had already agreed to meet james l brooks to talk about something she didn't even know what and so they get married and they have some champagne and then she tells her new husband, like, hey, I gotta go. <laughs> and she leaves to go meet Brooks. Like, So he met her three hours after she'd been married and then immediately wanted to meet her husband, and so they brought him over, and uh, that began a sort of collaboration because she ended up being hired, I think she was associate producer? Yeah, and technical advisor for the film. It's her handwriting on the tape above like the different monitors, and there's one mm-hmm. scene where mm-hmm. uh, we see videotape of Tom uh, doing a story, and there's an off-screen producer who tells him, like, that was really good. That's her voice as well. Jane, the actual Jane.
1: Oh, that's so cool.
0: I have so much more on Susan Zerinsky's life, but it's kind of out of order, but it's it's just very fascinating. She became the first female president of CBS News uh, starting last year. She So her husband, Joe Payronic, um, was her boss at the time. He was, like, vice president of news, and she was, like, a bureau chief and they there's a 1992 article on spy magazine uh talking about how they're you know how she was the inspiration for this character in broadcast news and how they're witty his girl friday style newsroom banter uh delighted and sort of mortified colleagues during one exchange it's quoted uh she felt he was being difficult about some of her choices and she yelled at him in the newsroom you didn't fuck me at home last night you don't get to fuck me here
1: Wow, now that's the kind of shit that would get you fired. now.
0: <laughs> uh, but it was good for them. It wasn't just based on Susan Zirinsky. She's like famously known as that. But as we mentioned, uh, Brooks had heard from many, many people. Uh, he said he first was inspired by meeting a reporter who he's never identified for her privacy sake, who told him that she was in a relationship with two different colleagues in her office, and it kind of became a bit of a guessing game in like washington media circles when the film came out about who was based on who whom was based on whom i don't know
1: can i tell you my guess and sure. maybe you have it there yep nora Ephron.
0: oh as the who?
1: two reasons mm-hmm. crying yeah and the detailed way jane gives taxi directions yes there's a there's a couple different scenes of her being like very oppressive in her taxi directions and so all of that stuff in when harry met sally with meg ryan being very specific about her food orders that's like a nara efron thing this is how she acts so that's what made me think of her
0: interesting maybe
1: is she on the list
0: i don't have a full list and
1: i mean she was still working in media then
0: the only the the, where's the list well the most like uh uh, i guess debated was whether tom this new pretty boy anchor represented the new crop of pretty boy news anchors the young fresh faces on the scene including uh tom brokaw peter jennings and dan rather
1: uh yes pretty boy dan rather they (laughs) called him
0: Handsome face. It's so funny Handsome to talk Dan. about
1: people like this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because we only we only know them as old men. So And also
0: like uh, you know. that at the time it was like, oh, the old trusted sources of actual journalism have been pushed aside for these new guys. Are they all style over substance? You know. And it's funny to think of. It's a
1: fair question.
0: People thinking of Dan Rather and Tom Brokaw and Peter Jennings as, yeah, as just. You know, Billy Bush or whatever. Yeah, just the face. <laughs> yeah, the
1: face. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think we should take a break because we've talked to all this this first half hour about Jane? So we've got the men to come. <laughs> You've given me so much trivia just in the first half, so I can't imagine what you have for the back half.
0: Welcome back to Box Office Bylines uh, show about movies about journalism. Here on Nowhere FM, I am Jacob Boone in Yellowknife, still with Tara Thorne in Halifax. Her (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we talked about Jane and the real life Janes and the ladies of journalism. But now, Tara, I want to talk about the guys. The men. My
1: favorite part. (laughs) Of any conversation.
0: Um, Let's start with Tom. Who's... Albert's... Aaron. Albert playing Aaron. Interesting character. Have a lot of thoughts there. But Tom's sort of the instigator. His presence drives the conflict of the movie. Um, Should we get out of the way first a very important disclaimer about William Hurt. Uh
1: so William Hurt has had a very long and storied and uninterrupted career and uh he um he was dating Marley Matlin
0: at the time when this movie he made was made. This movie. Yeah.
1: They, yeah, they were both they met on Children of a Lesser God.
0: She was 19, he was 35.
1: Correct. So there's fact 1. <laughs> uh, they were both nominated for Oscars in the same year.
0: Uh I don't think that's right.
1: Okay, no, you're right. It was the year before. And he announced her winning.
0: Yeah, he announced her winning, but it was 87. He signed her name. Uh, Oh. Yeah. And then berated and yelled at her the whole ride home.
1: Correct. Yeah, so I was looking up. um, I wanted to confirm those details. Um, I was like, what? What happened that night? And then I found this sort of trail of stories about when Marlee Matlin's book came out, that they were in an abusive relationship the whole time, and he was terrible to her the whole time. Um obviously it's not affected him. He is uh, part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um he's doing great. Uh but we just want to acknowledge that that um that Marley Matlin has said those things and uh that they were happening at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh which colors Tom uh, who is this sort of like likable uh, you know uh, very I don't sociable, know. It, very it charming. Him differently to me, yeah. Yeah. Not
0: he's not presenting. Not an idiot. As, no, not an idiot, and not duplicitous. Uh, willfully, he's not trying to manipulate. No. People or women. In fact, like at the start, she Jane tries to seduce him, not knowing he's going to be her coworker, and he, you know, politely keeps declining her over and over until he eventually leaves their hotel room. Um,
1: he does. And the movie does something very interesting at the beginning, which is it shows each of them as children just for a couple minutes to sort of give you like their inciting incidents as to how they ended up here. And Tom's is basically he's too young for this conversation, but basically he's like in a truck with his dad and they're talking about how all the all the all the women around him are saying, you know how cute he is. I think he's 10. But he's, like, very concerned even then about only being a pretty face.
0: Yeah, he's like, he keeps, he's like, I keep studying, but I keep failing at school. He doesn't get it.
1: So when he meets Jane, his intention really is to pick her brain, like, to do, to, he wants her emotional labor, not her body.
0: And she calls him out on that. Like, she's like, I'm not a remedial journalism class. You don't get it? She even says, like, I hate people like you who know they're no good, and think that by complaining about it, that like gives them a pass. Like she's like, if you want to get good, put the work in. Yeah. Um, Can I just say too, I really love that. It's confusing at first, but those opening scenes with the characters is such a fascinating choice to make.
1: I remember, I believe your quote was, the fuck is this? (laughs) I thought it was about a lady journalist.
0: Because, like, what does that mean? Like, we're th- like
1: in 1963.
0: <laughs> it sets each character as what they are when we meet them and kind of what they are at the end. Like, is it sort of like fate saying, like, these people don't change? They've been cast in these roles their whole life, and that's all they'll ever get to be? That's dark.
1: Mm. I mean, if I saw that device now, I would be like, you are lazy and you don't want to tell me anything <laughs> through, right. you know, nuance. But it really it really works as a as a device for this.
0: Um, I should say too, there apparently there was a subplot that was deleted that's available on the Criterion edition deleted scenes, where Tom meets uh, this man called Buddy. So there's one scene in the movie where like Aaron's supposed to go down in the lobby and meet some new source, and Tom's like, "Can I come along?" And Aaron says something smart alecky, and then it just cuts. We don't <laughs> see any more of that. And in the original cut, they would have gone down and met this man who apparently is uh I haven't seen these scenes but he's presented as a very Charles Lynn sort of gay character caricature um and buddy has an instant crush on tom he says you know he works his roommate works for the state department and he could pass on some news and aaron doesn't really care like the guy doesn't have anything right now so he's like well if you hear anything let me know and he goes back upstairs and tom invites the guy out for a drink at a regular bar is how he phrases it um, mm-hmm. And he develops this friendship with Buddy because, but Buddy is clearly attracted to Tom and is mm-hmm. passing along news tips because he l- finds this handsome man attractive and wants to be around him. And then later on at a certain point, once Tom's a little further along in his career, uh, the roommate moves out and Buddy doesn't have access to that info anymore and Tom essentially just ends the friendship ah uh, and they took it out because it, two things yeah
1: yes well no, they uh, apparently
0: james james brooks took it out because it it made tom too dark it made him too much of a villain that he would be so callous towards another human being
1: i also feel like this movie would have aged much worse with 1987 <laughs> attitudes uh toward homosexuality now james brooks Surprises surprised me with his treatment of women, so maybe not. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it would have been a, it could have been problematic. And also, this movie is over two hours long. It did not need that any of that.
0: Sure, I agree. Um, but it is something that would have made the line about ethics, not the line spoken line, but the idea of the ethical line of journalism that the movie plays with, a lot more cut and dry. In that Tom was. A villain. He he he's callous. He represents everything the news shouldn't be. Um, right. Whereas in this film, it's much more of a debate and a discussion. I think it ultimately lands. I don't want to get into spoilers at the end because I actually, having not seen it, I was truly shocked at something that happened at the end. So I don't want to give that oh. away. Oh. Um,
1: I mean, it's been thirty-five years. Thirty. How many years?
0: Fine. Can we give a spoiler space? Thirty-three years. Can we like have a spoiler pause?
1: Thirty-three years. Sure.
0: If you haven't watched it, go watch it and then come back to our podcast if you still want to. But if you have seen it, we're going to go forward. There's your right now. space. So um, it comes out that Tom does this story on date rape, uh, this very emotional piece about this new subject, date rape. Um, which, yes. And- Being
1: attacked by somebody you know.
0: All the women in the office find it very moving, incredible. They know what this is. Aaron, the dude, is professionally jealous and personally jealous of Tom because he's in love with Jane and decries it as not being news and makes a crack about uh, how he blew the lid off Nookie, which definitely ages badly. Um, Yes. But he's also... You know, Jane and the women in the office, Even Jane even says, like, it's not what I would do because at one point we cut back to Tom and Tom's crying as well. And she's like, that's not a choice I would have made to insert yourself into the story to show your emotion. But it really worked. It was really powerful. And then we learn, and Aaron's the only one who's, I guess, cynical enough to question it and realize what happened, that they only brought one camera. So they couldn't have turned back to Tom mid-speech of the source to know he was crying. And when... Jane goes and looks at the tapes, it's like sure enough, the producer, played off screen by Susan Zarinsky, is like, Oh, that was great when you almost cried. And he's like, Well, I can I can make myself cry. And this is after the interview's done and they set it up and he pretends he's listening and fake cries, oblivious to the perils of staging a scene like that. And Jane is mortified. That's and what up turns with Jane yeah. off of
1: him completely. Yeah, she's like, they were, she had chosen him over Aaron. Aaron tells her this information in a petulant way because he knows he's lost. But mm-hmm. he also knows as a friend how it would rock her to record. It does. And the movie sets it up well because we see earlier on when they're on location somewhere, they're filming something and the camera person is directing the guy who's like pulling a boot on to yeah. do it. And she runs over. And she's like, no, 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 no. We don't stage the news. You do what you want. And the, and it's pretty funny. The guy just stares at guy's her. was like, what should
0: I do? And she's like, only on. put the boot yes. on if you want to put the boot on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's great, too, because it's funny. You don't think that's set up towards something. But you realize, one, she sees this handsome man who she's helped, she's fallen in love with, who really she believes in, just so casually go against something that's to her core. And they have an incredible fight at the airport about it where she's almost more mad that he isn't as... He doesn't realize the line he's crossed. Yeah, he's not ashamed. Yeah. Um, And she
1: wants to fight him and he just walks away from her.
0: He's like, well, let's let's fight on vacation because they're supposed to go (laughs) on vacation. He's like, the plane's boarding. We'll fight on vacation. You can break up with me when we get back. But I already bought the tickets.
1: Which again... It's like someone who the movie sets her up as someone who is very principled, and this romantic decision like she's she's happy with him, even though she doesn't know why she yeah. did, like she knows it's not the he's not the type of guy that she would normally go for um and but she gives that up because she's like essentially disgusted by him, and I just thought it was so true to her character and- uh to do that
0: we have Aaron the character who's much more of just a strong amazing friend um but who's yeah. in love with her
1: but clearly in love with her from the beginning
0: and that's also one element that ages poorly in terms of how he's sort of he's kind of he's he's now a very like nice guy type trope at the time probably mm. not as much um and he gives this big speech to her about how Tom is the devil and it's all based on journalism ethics and how he's going to come along and he'll be pretty and he'll move the line bit by bit and we'll all be okay with it. And then he ends with some declaration of how he loves her. And he's right. He's wrong about so much. Yes. He's an asshole. And the movie sort of eventually realizes that. It's kind of hard because Albert Brooks, maybe not the most conventionally attractive man, but very charming.
1: But very and charming. And very funny. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And you can easily see why they talk on the phone every night for, like, an hour. Um, Yes,
1: he's hilarious.
0: And even though he's absolutely wrong about, like, her and Tom being in love or, like, trying to convince her to be with him or whatever, like, he's completely right about Tom as a journalist. And I don't think a lesser movie would have had the sort of guts to make that so layered. And also, it would have probably had her leave Tom at the airport and go back to Aaron. And she doesn't do that.
1: Yes. Yes. It's
0: a movie where no one ends up with anyone.
1: Yeah. I mean, she does at one point, she sort of Aaron's gets his chance to anchor the weekend news and it goes horribly. She doesn't know that. Cause she's at like the white horse, the white house correspondence dinner, some sort of thing at the white house. And, um, she's there with, with Tom. They're finally going on an official date and she ditches Tom yeah. to go see if Aaron's okay. And I and again, because we've all seen romantic comedies, you're like, "Oh, this is the part where she sleeps with Aaron and now she's got to hide it from Tom."
0: Like pro- just- <laughs> promising Tom that she'll meet him back at his place to have sex for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she's going to go check out her friend first. And who's like the friend she knows already is in love with her, who probably <laughs> who probably isn't too happy to get like this check-in pre-boating of the duty hates.
1: For sure. And I am, um, you know, I have to, uh, you know, we talked a lot during the movie, like when we were watching it with Allison, um, that... Spoilers.
0: You
1: know, why isn't she responding to this? Like there's uh-huh. a couple times where he pushes it at her. He's drinking sometimes. He doesn't say I'm in love with you until the very end, until he knows he's going to lose. Yeah. Um, And she sort of compartmentalizes it and doesn't deal with it until she absolutely has to. And that part made me feel for him. I think because I've been him and it's like... But they work together and they are really good friends. So it's very, very, very hard. Yeah. Um, and I do think... she, I do judge her for that. I do judge her for not... Um, for not, you know, uh recognizing his feelings or maybe she didn't believe them or whatever. Like they just they needed to have a talk about it that never came.
0: Yeah. They're soulmates but not romantically.
1: Yeah. Like I mean, obviously the most the, the most obvious thing is like if she could have Aaron's personality in Tom's body, that's a oh, perfect
0: man. Wouldn't perfect man. So- <laughs> William Hurt's body, <laughs> she- Albert Brooks's intellect.
1: But neither one works and you can't yep. do that. So she ends up with Nobody.
0: Um it's sort of uh, that's another reason it's I think so well regarded and remembered is that there is no pat resolution. There is a tacked on ending. Yes. Which we were not a fan of. I don't think anyone was a fan of. It's No,
1: and it seemed like a reshoot.
0: Yeah, it's well, I mean if they shot in order then I guess it would have been or not a reshoot,
1: but <laughs> it wouldn't be a reshoot it at like all. It like flashes forward be in order.
0: several years and Tom's got a fiance And he's, like, head of – he's, like, the main anchor, but he turned down a job being, like, executive producer of Network News and recommended Jane. And she's taking that job. She's got a boyfriend who is taking her water skiing and bringing her, like, uh, into a social life outside of work. And Aaron is a reporter out west, and he's got a wife and kids. And they're all – It's a bit awkward when they run into each other, but clearly they're all friends, if not colleagues still. Um, And it just sort of leaves there. But really the ending is she walks away from Tom at the airport. She gets in a cab, completely defeated, tries to give the cabbie directions, realizes what she's doing and stops. (laughs) And she's like, you know what? Never mind. Take whatever way you want. And there's like a couple of beats. And then actually, though, this way would be quicker and it's brilliant and beautiful and it it's like michael clayton it should have just ended with her driving in the cab with the credits
1: yeah i agree with
0: that second michael clayton reference on this podcast <laughs> i realize
1: um yeah and i yeah and i feel like it definitely felt like oh we showed this to t- 50 test audiences and everyone wanted to know who she ended up with
0: so mm-hmm. we had to
1: be very clear that she didn't end up with either one
0: well um. apparently the test audiences did hate the ending and so did
1: it end at the cab
0: uh, originally well I don't know I think I couldn't find that out but they hated her leaving and not knowing what was happening not knowing who she'd end up with so they did stage a reshoot um, Brooks had the idea so that Bill or Tom would surprise her in the cab he didn't get on the plane he came back and, he, and they would have like a little makeup fight and they would kiss and it would all be resolved and reconciled, which is a terrible ending. And luckily, awful, fate intervened because he wanted to do this thing. He had seen some movie where uh, the actor didn't know someone was going to actually be on set. So like he wanted to capture Holly Hunt's actual reaction to William Hurt uh, jumping into the cab. And they mm-hmm. were all set up. They'd kept it secret. And then one of the crew members was like, okay, we're ready for Bill with an earshot. And it ruined it. And so that's why he ended up not going with it. But now, even like years later, he's like, it didn't work. It would have been bad to use that anyway. I'm going to quote from uh, Haley um, Blotech, I believe is how you pronounce her name, uh, in The Ringer, who wrote about this a couple years ago for the 30th anniversary, about the ending, where she says, the point is that the romantic reconciliation is between the characters and their work. And I think that's actually a really great way to view Mm. the film. And I think what makes it Mm -hmm. a really amazing journalism film like... All the President's Men or Spotlight, where really it's about the characters and what they do. Like, the conflict, com- the conflict, the romance, everything comes out of uh, their dedication to their values and their sort of discipline. Um, and if you view it that way, it's actually quite a nice happy ending because everyone does find a sort of equilibrium uh, with their values. And she doesn't get demoted. You know, she... She gets and
1: she says there's a guy that I th- that I think she made up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she maybe did, maybe, um, uh, but it's not it's not as simple as that. Sort of like she chose work over she chose career over romance, love. Yeah,
1: mm, mm-hmm. it's that those guys weren't right for her. Yeah, and th- and the she movie wasn't right for them. She needed to figure <laughs> it out. Yeah, exactly. I want to shout out. Joan Cusack, who is mm-hmm. one of my favorite actors of all time. And she was nominated for an Academy Award for this. And I'm pretty sure, she's not in it very much.
0: Nope.
1: She, I'm pretty sure it's because she does this incredible run with a yes. videotape. They're cutting this story up to the second. And they're scre- everyone's screaming at Jane that she's not going to get it. She's not going to get it. She hands it off to Joan. Joan runs from wherever they are to... The control room where the news is airing live and she does this amazing run she jumps over something at one point she hits a fountain um mm-hmm. kind of like takes it in the gut and keeps going and then makes it happen she's so good she also did a similar f- she was also nominated for an academy award for her part as the girlfriend in in and out which is an excellent movie from the 90s where kevin klein uh, is outed by a former student of his who wins an oscar which is based on Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh she's very, very good at shining in small parts. And uh I was I was very happy to see her. And I think a full eighteen inches taller than Holly Hunter, at least a foot. At one point they hug and it's <laughs> it's like she's hugging a child.
0: I miss the days when Hollywood would turn whatever Tom Hanks says into a full motion picture.
1: Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what did he tweet today? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's a Tom Hanks Corona documentary coming. Don't worry about
0: it. <laughs> um, that scene you mentioned where she's running with the tape, it was shot by uh, Michael Ballhouse, the Academy Award winning cinematographer who uh, a few years later would uh, become very well known for the single take two and a half minute tracking shot in Goodfellas. Oh. some trivia.
1: Well, that that's some great, um, you know, that was a, a great warm up for him with the tracking shots.
0: Other trivia, Deborah Winger originally cast as Jane Craig, but dropped out uh, because she was pregnant. Deborah Winger was in terms of endearment, wasn't she? Yeah.
1: Yes. It's interesting that James L. Brooks tried to have his little uh, uh, repertory cast right away.
0: So he didn't, Holly Hunter got the part like, uh, what was it, two days before shooting was supposed to begin.
1: Wow. I always love those stories. I love hearing alternate casting stories. That's a podcast I would listen to on podcast news. <laughs> podcast
0: news. Uh, this was released the same December weekend as Moonstruck and Overboard. To tell you how far we've come for romantic comedies.
1: Well, when I was looking at why it didn't win any Oscars, what it was up against, the answer was Moonstruck. Yeah. Because it was nominated for six or seven.
0: And yeah. it won nothing. Won nothing. Shame.
1: But it was up against Cher, that's why. <laughs>
0: Uh, Albert Brooks (laughs) revealed when he first read the script, the scene where Aaron does this weekend broadcast, he gets like one shot to like prove to the network he's worth it to keep around. Um, It only noted that something bad happens to Aaron on the air. So Albert Brooks was watching CNN and a reporter he'd never seen before and says hasn't seen since began sweating profusely. (laughs) He immediately phoned James L. Brooks at three in the morning and was like, that's what's going to (laughs) happen. That's what ruins his chances. (laughs) Jack Nicholson, also, who was in Terms of Endearment, so he plays the main anchor. He was not paid for this role at his own request.
1: I find that shocking. Yeah, he but he did to, have Joker money coming.
0: He did have the Joker money on the way. He's fine. He's doing okay. <laughs> there's an amazing... Yeah,
1: don't worry about Jack. There's
0: an amazing scene of like um, where the, the, lay, the layoffs hit. It's that part of the journalism movie where the layoffs arrive. Um, yes. And he comes down from New York to like be there personally when everyone gets the bad news. And he's like, I'm going to take them all out tonight for drinks. He's like, it's very important that, that they, they feel looked after. And this is a troubling time. And, and they're like, boss is like, well, be, you know, you could make it less troubling if you wanted to take a little bit off your salary. And like he, a million dollars. Yeah. He, he gives them a look and then he's like, Oh, I I was just joking. You know, that's, that was a bad joke. I shouldn't. <laughs> but that also felt very true. And also timely because this past week we heard CBC, CBS News, after mm-hmm. paying millions for John Krasinski's Some Good News show, laid off, you know, what is 75 employees? Um, and it was Zerinsky Ugh, yeah. who is still in charge and had to make those cuts. She said she personally phoned as many people Yikes. as she could.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. The news. What the a, news. What a dumb, tough gig. <laughs> Um, also, uh, something I, I thought was very accurate with that Nicholson scene was a, hu- a hush came out of, over the room when he walked
0: in. Uh, yeah,
1: they were just—they couldn't believe this guy just walked in there.
0: Because he's important. You don't want to be, you know, should the share? Yeah, he's the guy. It's great when like yeah. they know they've done well if they get a small little corner of the mouth smile from him after their video package yeah. rolls. Like that's enough. He's been yeah. around long enough you get that from your anchor you know you did a good piece of tape um this one this might cheer you up joan cusack is in this movie did you know john cusack is as well
1: i did not
0: he's credited as angry messenger uh so (laughs) when the layoffs happen the firings whatever there's a guy who yells sons of bitches and throws a messenger bag to the floor and we don't see him. It's, sh- it's just a guy walking off. We see his back for half a second. Um, but the voice does sound like John Cusack. And I don't know if anyone's ever asked him about it. Uh, but maybe they gave him the role or maybe he dubbed the dialogue in later.
1: Well, they're also famous for being in a lot of movies together. Yeah. John and Joan. So I could see her bringing him by.
0: His, na- his name is spelled wrong, too. <laughs> in the credits.
1: <laughs> J-O-N.
0: Um, oh, Q. Sex yeah. spelled wrong. Yeah, that's all the trivia I have on broadcast news. A film we could probably talk about for another two or three hours or more.
1: We could, and to be fair to your trivia master self, you you've uh, deployed a lot of it during the conversation. You usually, ch- save it to the end. But you, I could tell how much reading you did on this can because I... you were excited to share the information early.
0: As we end things off, can I ask a question of you? Sure. So the film presents this battle between style over substance and news, really kind of personified by Tom and Aaron. And they, no question, Tom crosses a line, a big line when he stages his tear. Early in the movie, they do this report about a veteran coming home. And they, this is the one that the tape that Joan Cusack runs in the control room. And in the middle of editing it, Jane realizes, like, oh, there's this painting by Norman Rockwell of Homecoming. We could insert an image, a slow pan of that into the film, and that would, like, and give it more resonance. And so she goes and does an insert. Is that not style over substance? Is it not
1: similar? I mean, I feel like she's more looking at that as, as, like, a photo credit or something.
0: I don't know. I think it's a question about where do you draw the line at editorializing in... And I don't know. Maybe this is something inherent with like TV news as like a broadcast medium. It's true in print too. Where you're just picking every day, but like it's a powerful thing: matching images and words to present Mm -hmm. a story. It's not dogma, documentary type nonsense. So I don't know. Like I think there's there's a discussion that could be had about how the ethics that Aaron and Jane cling to are they already sort of compromised when the film starts?
1: Right, and I do wonder if maybe. Brooks didn't consider it because it's in a montage of her moving really fast and we're supposed to see how good she is at her job. Right. So it's like one thing in a litany of things she's asking people for. So I do wonder if he didn't think about it. Mm. But I also think you're, you're probably right in that she does skirt the line sometimes. Although no one ever accuses her of that. No. But just inherently it probably does happen where it's like she also knows what plays. She's not an idiot.
0: Let us know what you think, viewer, listener. Listener. Please do if you
1: haven't seen this oh I mean I have seen it a bunch yep. and it was really nice to watch it with people who have seen seen it for the first time because it, it really is terrific and and holds up very well
0: uh well that's it for this week on box bylines box office bylines
1: Jacob we have an auspicious uh situation this week um this is our last broadcast on noR FM
0: it is sadly yes.
1: Yes so I want to thank Trevor Murphy and Matt Charlton for uh, for and pigeon the whole team at Pigeon Row for you know uh, ha- having this as an opportunity for us to get our podcast juices flowing again and we will continue this as a podcast for now
0: Yeah we will continue on uh nowhere was just sort of an idea to help everybody get through the pandemic and quarantine a little bit and uh, they're gonna. Shut the doors for now. Maybe they'll be back. We hope they will.
1: Well, if the second wave comes, who's <laughs> to say? But for now, this is our last Nowhere FM broadcast, but you can catch us on all your regular uh, podcast uh, subscription services moving forward after this week. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, we're for our first podcast-only um, episode, we're actually going to watch a very old movie so old it's in the public domain and is not even in color
0: <laughs> it's not even in <laughs> color can you imagine
1: can you imagine <laughs> so it's a real like
0: technology
1: uh-huh. um comparison situation um do you want to tell the people what that one is so they could watch you it if they We're watching would like?
0: the uh, screwball comedy classic his girl friday
1: a movie that i've heard many references to over the years but i've never clapped eyes on how about you
0: Clapped eyes?
1: Yeah, cl- clapped eyes on. okay. What's a jag? What's clapping it? eyes?
0: <laughs> um. Yes, I've seen it uh, once before. This will be my second time, and I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about, and everyone can hear that on their podcast services.
1: And we don't know which day yet.
0: We might adjust the schedule a bit, because now we're not... We used to broadcast on Tuesday, and so we'd put the podcast out at the same time, but we might change that now, because we're not tied to any... Terrestrial radio on the internet.
1: <laughs> we're in, we're sort of nowhere of our own accord now.
0: Oh, wow. yeah,
1: yeah, That's yeah. All right, so you can catch Jacob at RWJ Boone on Twitter.
0: Mm-hmm. And you can find Tara at Thorny HFX. That's Thorny with an E, HFX with H and F and an X. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and also, this show is box bylines. Don't ask. And, um, yeah, we we hope to see you out there in podcast land. And it's going to be harder to keep in touch, but uh, we look forward to it. And thanks again to Nowhere FM.
0: Thank you, Nowhere.
1: A sweet nine-week ride. Yeah. All right. Jacob, All right. have a great week.
0: See everybody next week. Terry you too. Bye. You are everything.